Blog Talk Radio. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. yes. All right. Okay, we are we are live and on the air, Marsha. Take it away. All right. Good evening. I'm Marsha Joyner, and this is Betrayed by Hospice, brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed, Whistleblowers Live, and our producer, Marty Oakley. Originally, this program was created to expose the betrayal of hospice to alert unsuspecting people that most hospice are not practicing the original protocol, which was to enroll those who were dying and could not be treated with medications or procedures and to minimize their pain if they were in pain. But today, people who can be treated are being encouraged to enroll and treatments and medications are stopped in lieu of a one-size-fits-all toxic drug cocktail, regardless if they're in pain or not which causes a coma and death from the drugs, starvation, and dehydration. Why? Because it is cheaper for the government to condone hospice killings instead of the cost to treat the person. The government saves money from Medicare, Medicaid, hospice facilities, and hospitals make money, and the medical staff are paid to kill, whether they know it or not. Previous programs have gone into more detail, but tonight I want to concentrate on pertinent information regarding our guest story. All programs are archived and can be accessed on blogtalkradio.com or Google Marsha Joyner, Betrayed by Hospice. But as you have witnessed, this program has morphed into more topics of discussion that are important to help us to protect ourselves and our loved ones. As I do each program, I want to share a couple of resources. Michelle Young-Dewers, a former hospice respiratory therapist turned warrior, authored an excellent book, Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice. This book gives an inside story behind those closed hospice doors. Halovoice.org is an excellent resource to provide information before or during a crisis with the medical profession. LifeLegalDefenseFoundation.org has access to pro-life attorneys. Murdered by Hospice Facebook group is another excellent resource for people who need a safe place to talk. MakingAKilling.com has a documentary that our guest from last program, Dana Stevens, and our guest this evening, Patty Myers, were on. ProtocolKills.com is another resource to find more information about protecting yourself if you have to go into a hospital. And a few weeks ago, Dana Stevens shared her mom Rebecca's story when she was literally murdered with multiple vials of opioids, one right after the other. 
In 2020, I know most of you heard that the COVID patients were moved into the nursing homes, infecting those considered most vulnerable, and hospice was called in to help because they know how to handle death. They certainly know how to orchestrate a chemical death with opioids, anxiety meds, antipsychotics, leading to starvation, dehydration, and ultimately death. And obituaries always say a peaceful death, right? Those innocent elderly were murdered. It continued in the hospitals with the COVID protocol. Tonight, Patty Myers will walk us through her husband, Tony Myers, last few weeks. And for those who are not familiar with the COVID protocol, remdesivir was the only FDA-approved drug and listed as emergency use for COVID. Its benefit-risk ratio was and is still being determined. And every medication has risk, but in the case of remdesivir, those paying attention to the data a year after the onset of COVID were apprehensive and downright afraid of remdesivir, but were ignored, and the protocol continued. Remdesivir was developed in 2009 by Gilead scientists to treat hepatitis C and respiratory succinctal virus, but it didn't work. So in 2014, it was repurposed for Ebola and Marburg virus, but didn't work for that either. So in 2020, they repurposed it again to treat COVID-19, which is pretty clear it isn't working for that either. So let's follow the money. In the U.S., it cost $520 to $560 per vial with a double dose the first day, which comes to over $3,000 for a five-day treatment. So let's jump forward and compare that with ivermectin, which is not approved. It costs $94 for treatment. The remdesivir website says to read the patient package insert before taking, but how many people are asked in the hospital for permission, let alone given information on the drug being put into their body? Many doctors noted acute renal and liver failure in patients, but main media, the government, weren't telling us that, and those who dared to speak the truth were called conspiracy theorists. The FDA revoked approval of known life-extending drugs containing monoclonal antibodies, which mimics the body's creation of antibodies against disease, and were more effective than remdesivir, which had a 53% death rate, higher than COVID. Ivermectin, which was approved in 1987, is derived from nature, just like penicillin and aspirin. It is one of the safest drugs on the World Health Organization list of essential medicine and has eradicated endemic parasitic infections around the world. Many studies demonstrated its potent ability to inhibit SARS-CoV-2 and recovery from COVID-19, but it wasn't approved for use and doctors were not allowed to give it to their patients that had COVID. It's also used to fight parasitic infections in animals. And I bring that up because people were going to their veterinarians and trying to get this medicine to take for themselves because it was being refused. The FDA warned people not to self-medicate using ivermectin for animals because it wasn't approved and it should only be used in a research setting as part of a clinical trial 
while they continued to use remdesivir, which was killing people, and trials had not been conducted on it. In fact, despite ivermectin for COVID undergoing studies that showed significant improvement for mortality, ventilation, hospitalization, recovery, and viral clearance, FDA would not back down. The next approved COVID protocol for patients who were given remdesivir and it wasn't working and they were getting worse was the mechanical ventilation. The largest analysis of hospitalized U.S. COVID-19 patients to date finds that most did not survive after being placed on a mechanical ventilator. Among the 2,634 patients whom outcomes were known at that time, the death rate was 21% but rose to 88% once they were vented. One nurse, Sarah, stated COVID COVID patients are placed on ventilators rather than less invasive CPAP and BiPAP due to fears of the virus spreading. She further stated the ventilators have high pressure, which can cause barotrauma to the lungs. And many of us heard a couple of years back that the hospitals were being given incentive for diagnosing people with COVID, and they were getting 13000 and 39000 if they put them on a ventilator. But the health officials were vehemently denying that. In fact, they were insulted. One stated, there's an implication that hospitals are over-reporting COVID patients because they have an economic advantage of doing so, which is an outrageous claim. They said any suggestion that patients may be put on ventilators out of financial gain is basically saying physicians are violating their Hippocratic oath. It would be like providing heart surgery on someone who doesn't need it. Um, We found out the hard way that the Hippocratic oath is not worth the paper it's written on in regards to what's going on with hospice and hospitals. And my research revealed that Kaiser states that Medicare does not have a diagnostic code specifically for COVID-19. They use a similar respiratory condition. You know how much that payment is? $13,297. So interesting that people were talking about 13000 and they were getting upset about that. And when they put them on a ventilator, it was 40218 so no surprise that the 13,000 and the 39,000 were being used by people talking about it but they were insulted that people said that that is and then on top of that they got 20% add-on for covid patients because of the cares act so the takeaway is remdesivir failed at treating hepatitis C in 2009 Ebola and Marburg in 2014 And repurposed for COVID, it failed a third time. It is known to cause kidney and liver issues. It cost over $3,000 per treatment versus ivermectin at $94, which has been tested and proved to have merit. Monoclonal antibodies are more effective, were denied, and a ventilator, which was killing people, was continued to be used. COVID patients... We're getting $13,000, $40,000 to vent them, plus 20%. So I want you to think about that tonight as Patty tells the story about Tony. Tonight, my guest, Patty Myers, is going to talk to you about what happened to Tony. And Patty and Tony had been married for 31 years, 
and Patty describes Tony as a fun-loving guy who loved fishing, Virginia Tech football, making people laugh, and Jesus. They have two children, one of which has autism, and Patty has a degree in psychology and published a book, Autism is a Blessing. She has spoken oftentimes on radio, TV, and events about autism, and although she's not a medical doctor, she believes in doing her research. So when she and Tony came down with COVID in August 2021, and Tony was ultimately hospitalized, she begged for ivermectin for Tony when it was clear that remdesivir was not not only helping but making his condition worse. He was only 55. Tony was not vaccinated. And remember the attitude of people, if you don't get the jab, you shouldn't be treated. Would the outcome have been different? Or perhaps it would have been the same since there was so much more money to be made. So, Patty, I'd like to welcome you to the program and, again, say how sorry I am that you lost Tony, not to COVID, but to the COVID protocol. And I'd like to give you the opportunity to tell our listeners what happened to Tony and warn them about potential dangers. Well, Marsha, I just I can't thank you enough for letting me uh, talk about it as hard as it is. Uh, I have to stand up, not just for Tony, but for all the hundreds of thousands of people that were murdered as well uh, because of the protocol. And I often say that when people say, how did your husband die? I said, from hospital protocol. And sometimes people look at me like, what? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I said, it was the treatment that killed him. Um, And sometimes people are are still not understanding what's going on out there. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing is just sharing my truth and what I witnessed and what I saw and what I heard. Um, And it it needs to stop. So thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity tonight. Yeah, so we we both got sick. um, And I say often that I drove him to the death chamber. But... um, he was home for about a week, and each day it was kind of getting worse. And he ended up calling his doctor probably five days or so, and they just said, quote, stay home unless you have breathing problems, then go to the hospital. And then he, they gave him a uh, steroid was all that uh, the doctor gave him to say, you know, help me. Um uh, long story short, his oxygen that day when we called the doctor before we went to the hospital, it was 92. He had said that it dropped in the 80s like the night before, and the doctor said, oh, you need to go to the hospital then. So I tried to not go. That is pretty much the only information I knew. I tried to not take him. I asked, could, could we just have oxygen sent to the home? They said no. That was really the first lie. That's not true. You can get oxygen at Lowe's or, or or stores that you could just walk into a low a low uh, percentage oxygen. So, anyways, um, I drove him. Uh, when we got in there, his oxygen was 94. Again, that's a normal oxygen level. He didn't look fine. He didn't feel fine, but his numbers were fine. And then we sat in the ER for maybe two, two and a half hours amongst all kinds of people with who knows what they had, sitting right next to people. They didn't have a problem with that. 
but as soon as they brought him in the back, all of a sudden he was quarantined, and he no, I couldn't visit him. Um, and again, he texted me right away saying, "This this place is worthless. You know, uh, no one's giving me anything." And then the next text was he was getting some fluids and oxygen, and the doctor said his levels were fine, quote. They're trying to figure out a way to keep me, and that that was remdesivir. He got hours later. So um, he was good for about a day, and then after that day, he started going downhill each day. They wouldn't let me in for five days. Um he asked, I asked to go in. They wouldn't let me in. That's part of the tactic as well as is, is keeping them isolated mm-hmm. in the family. Uh, finally, at day five, he said, I need more oxygen. Let me go to this other room with this other machine. And once one's available, they're going to, and I was like, what in the world? Why are we going, why are we getting worse? And that day is when I went to the hospital. I just went to the check-in area and said, I don't know what's going on, but I need to see my husband. Like, enough with this, you can't see him. And I asked for the head nurse, the head doctor, and then they gave me some nurse. And uh, I just told him, I said, I, my husband doesn't understand what's going on, and I don't understand. And she said, well, when have you seen him? And I said, excuse me? I said, well, you don't let me in. And then she said, oh, no, there's lottery visits. You can call in and, and get a lottery visit. So that moment she basically said, I'll take you to see him right now. And I just started crying. So he didn't know I was coming up, you know. And then they put you in the whole garb, you know, double mask, double eye thing. I didn't care. But I put it all on. And then uh, he had the best face. You know, when I walked in, he just was so happy to see me. So that day was day five of him being in the hospital. Um, And then that day is when I learned the word ivermectin. I'd never heard it before. Um, I I had heard roughly about antibodies, but I didn't really understand it. So I learned about that more that day. Um, And then that day. Can I stop you for a second? What is a lottery visit? Basically, I, I've never I had heard to, of that. Yeah. What is that? I had to call in from 7 to 9 in the morning, leave a message that I wanted to see my husband, and then they called you after 9.30 and let you know if if that, that you won the lottery. In other words, if, if they're going to allow you in. Oh, so my goodness. that's how that worked. For three weeks, I had to I called it like 70001, you know. So um, only they only let so many people in to see their loved ones. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now this is in. Um, let me backtrack a second. This is in August yeah. of 2021. Just to let our guests know what the time frame is on this. Right, and we're and this is you know Orlando, Florida too. I like to say that as well because Florida is one of the freest states. So I just want to put that out there as well. Okay. Um, and when you said ivermectin, when you learned about ivermectin and monoclonal antibodies, was this because you were Googling? You, uh, where no. did you hear that information? Uh, there was a lady that was friends of, uh, friends of mine on Facebook, and she actually 
went over all the country. Like her husband had COVID right at the beginning there, and he was vented, and she ended up getting that for him and the antibodies, I believe. And he got off the vent, and she would like do do videos every day. So I kind of watched watched her story throughout. So okay. That day, I knew he was bad, and they told me he was bad. And so I messaged, you know, on my Facebook and said, hey, I need this lady's number. And that's the day she told me about all this stuff. Gotcha. Um, And so as soon as she told me, I called the doctor right away after I hung up with her and said, this is what I need. And he's like, oh, no. So they made fun of it. They said they don't have it in their pharmacy. They said it's not approved. It's a, a drug is Nobel Peace Prize drug. It's proved it's just they did not the government didn't approve it for covid so we always want to make sure that's clear as well so the drug is approved for many things um, right right it's a very safe it's drug just, yeah it wasn't in their mandated protocol so um so long story you know that day is when i started my ivermectin push and the antibodies they said he's already making antibodies that's how they said the we don't need to get the antibodies in there. Ivermectin, they, they did course, you know, made fun of it. That was the first time they asked me, are you in the medical field? Uh, just kind of patronizing, and I said no. And he's like, well, we know we know what's best to treat this. COVID was the exact quote for the from the doctor that does over ethics. Um, so long story, uh, go to five more days. So we're at 10 days now. And as each day goes, he's getting worse and worse and worse. So by day 10, that day, he couldn't sit up. He could hardly talk to me. He couldn't eat. He was on 100% high flow oxygen. The next step is ventilation pretty much. Um, and they kept telling him from day five, quote, you're not going to make it. There's no more COVID meds. Uh, one guy said, you just need to get up and walk, you know, stuff like that. When he his blood pressure was so low, there's no way. Um, and that day, I just kept fighting for it. And long story, Patty. Patty, if you can hear me, we can't hear you. Yes. Okay, you're back. Okay. I can hear you. Okay, I can hear you now. All of a sudden, you just went blank. I'm sorry. Um, That's okay. So so day 10, um, I just went on a rampage. I went to his regular doctor because he asked me to do that, and they said, nope, we can't go to the hospital for him. Um, And then, like I said, the doctor finally said yes. And the next day I went in there because he couldn't tell if he got it or not. And I didn't know pill. I didn't know really what it was. And so the next day I walked in, it was the same doctor and nurse, and you never got that. Every day was new doctors, new nurses, you know, all the time. And I said, did he get the ivermectin? And she said, well, I ordered it. And the nurse said, I don't know. And I said, oh, my dear, I need to see the notes. And she goes, no, 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 Patty, he's down to 80% support. So I got on my garbs as fast as I could, 
and I'll never forget, I walked in there. Now, remember, the, the day before, they said he's not going to make it. He needs to be vented. Um, he couldn't sit up. He could hardly talk to me. And then when I walked in there, he was sitting up. He was smiling. And the machine says 75. I'll never forget And this is the day after ivermectin. Yeah, it wasn't even, because that was 11. It was just past 12 hours, actually. Okay. Okay. Um, and then jumped three days later. He's asking me to get shaving cream. Uh, he wants to shave. He wants Chipotle. He's, his color is great. And I show pictures of this. Um, and he texted my daughter saying, I'm healed. He told me I, I've saved his life that night. And then that day they said, now remind you, three days before they said, you're not going to make it. You have to be vented. And then jumped three days later and they they say, you're going to go home in a day or two because by the third day he was off the high flow. I took a picture of it uh, off. Wow. And then he was only on six liters of oxygen. Wow. And and just look at the guy. You know, that's what I always say. Just look at him. Forget the numbers. Just look at him like he looks normal, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but they didn't give any credit to the ivermectin. Like when your patient is like majorly... You, you just said he was going to die, and now you're saying he can go home? Like, right. that's crazy. But um, but then that night or early in the next morning, uh, he always has shortness of breath early in the morning, like 3 in the morning to 7. Um, his anxiety would go up because he said it's, it's scary. Like, you just feel like you can't get your breath. And so this morning he was pushing the nurse button like he always did, but this time they were at lunch and no one was answering for for a lot. I don't know how long, but, and then he had to start screaming. Um, and then when that happened alone, his anxiety went through the roof and all kinds of people came in. Um, then they moved him to ICU after that. Um, and they said no more ivermectin. Um, and so I told Tony, uh, that, that day I said, well, you need to ask for more. I didn't know they had stopped it actually. I -hmm. said, you need to ask for more ivermectin because that's working. That's the only thing that's working. And I said, so he asked for it. I asked for it and we just got hard nose. I don't think we found out actually it was stopped to like 24 hours later. Because uh, I would ask the nurses every once in a while, I need the med list, what he's on. Um, and they also stopped breathing treatments after that. So that, that makes sense So was no he having those all. up until that point? Oh, yes. He was like several times a day. I mean, he said okay. that, that was one of the things that helped him a lot. So budesonide. Um, Doesn't it make you wonder if, you know, if he was getting better on the ivermectin, that he wound mm-hmm. up having a panic attack because nobody answered the call button, and mm-hmm. so he gets stressed, his blood pressure changes, set, and then he starts to go downhill. So we take him off of what's working, put him right. on remdesivir, and stop treatments. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, the only thing I could get why is that um, when I met with the CEO and COO of the hospital later on after he died, 
they said only, and it's a huge hospital here in Orlando, but they said that they were very proud to say that only a handful out of their whole hospital, they allowed ivermectin in because it's not science-based is what he said to me, which I'm, I'm reading the same same studies they are, so I don't know how we cannot agree on that. But um, Exactly. I just think when you look at a patient, a person, and you see the drastic change that it's making in his life, and he's saying himself, I'm healed. I mean, I... I don't know how you can go to bed at night. Like, I don't, you know, you you have no heart right? Um, to say, I'm going to take that away, you know. So, and even the breathing treatments. I mean, I ended up calling the doctor and said, why in the world have you stopped the breathing treatments? He was like, ah, uh, he didn't really have a reason. <laughs> and then he did that thing again. Are you in the medical field? I was like, here we go again. Um no, I'm not, but he needs the breathing. Okay, we'll put it back on. What? I mean, I look back on that, and I think they were ticked that he got the ivermectin. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just, Sounds it doesn't, like it. and they were just hard and strong. They wouldn't even look up from their computers. I was like, we need the ivermectin again. This is the only thing. They wouldn't even comment. They would just, it was just horrible. Um so anyway, well, and so where can, why is it that when you go into again, they didn't ask you if, if you if you would approve remdesivir, and like you say at the time, you, no. you didn't really know what it was. But why mm-hmm. is it that we, as the patient, cannot say, and you did? I'll you know I'll sign anything you want me to sign. You know, if there's any consequences, anything happens to the ivermectin, I will not hold you responsible for it. Why can you not use ivermectin against medical advice? You can check yourself out against medical advice. Why can't you use a medication that you want to use, that you believe there's enough research on it that proves it works? It was clear that it was working. Who are they to deny you the ability to use a medication? And you were willing to sign anything. To use, You even asked for zinc and vitamin C. And what did he right. tell you? Those are known, not known to work, was the quote. Right. And what harm not is it in work. giving him that? Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, when you think about it, when I go back to the CEO and COO meeting, um, it's not science-based. What? What? I mean, I don't even understand that comment. What do you mean it's not science-based? It's not science-based for your mandated protocol treatment. That's true. You know, not, I mean, I didn't say that right, but you know what I mean? Like, I know what you're like saying. For, yeah. For their, yeah, for their protocol, it's not in that agenda, I guess is a better way to say it. But um, it's not in their uh, incentivized money, right? So if they go against protocol, and that's something I want to, keep uh, investigating, asking questions on, are they not getting the incentive money? You know, uh, I don't know. Uh, Because they were very hard on it. Yeah, Medicare is giving them 20% on top of that 13,000 and that 40,000 to vent. Right, right. Yeah. So there is uh, an incentive to use the protocol that they have in place, mm -hmm, and it's mm -hmm. barbaric. 
if that's not working. And clearly it was not. And like I said earlier, the death rate was 23%. And once they vented them, which ultimately you'll get into they did for Tony, then it's 88%. Yeah, I was I was hearing hearing your intro, and it's just I'm on this side of it though, you know. But when I was in the hospital, sure. when I was talking with lots of doctors and lots of nurses, uh, and yes, was I looking things up? Absolutely. But I was talking to a lot of professional people out there, and my brain was I mean it's it's the ultimate PTSD. You know, it really is, you're trying to save someone's life that you you don't have the experience and knowledge. Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know, they chose not to have it either. You know, because the ICU doctor at the end says, I'm doing what the FDA, the CDC, and this hospital told me to do. What? I said, what about you as a doctor who I'm relying on to help save my husband and he said I used to vent people and they would live now they don't and I'm like well why are you pressuring him to do this and he just shrugged his shoulders and said I don't know what to do you know it was like a conversation where he was venting exactly but yet he was like belittling to me he I mean Finally, at the end, when that last person said, are you in the medical field? It was the infectious disease guy. And I said, I am a behavior analyst, and I work with people with disabilities. And he was like, oh, okay. I thought, well, what if I said I was a doctor in Texas? Like, I think they were trying to intimidate me. It didn't work. It just ticked me off, honestly. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it just made me mad. But, um, you know, I saw so many patients in there. I heard so many nurses talk negatively. I heard so many off, you know, I'm so tired. We're so overworked. I mean, just poor me, poor me. And I'm thinking, look at this, my husband, like, he's been trying to breathe for weeks, you know. Well, so after what that, yeah. the nurse said, when he said, is it, you mm. know, does it happen that you start to feel better and then you regress. Right. So after that episode and they moved into ICU, I was with him that morning, and he said, oh, that was scary. And the one one nurse walks in and says, you you were almost vented. You don't know how close you were. And I thought, well, that's real encouraging again. You know, it's just they weren't. They were like catatonic, not even understanding, you know, their negativeism. Mm-hmm. You know, anyway, so... Another nurse walks in and he says to her, you know, does that happen often? Like I was doing so good and then I kind of went back and is this how it works, you know? And and she said, well, let me just tell you, a 32-year-old thick guy just walked in the other day on only two liters of oxygen and by the end of the night he was in a body bag. Now, what? I mean, What? And then yeah. you know, we looked at each other. We didn't have a word, like this even, like just up. And he said, whoa, that was encouraging. And she laughed and, like, walked out. And all I could do was, like, oh, turn the subject around because I thought, that is depressing. Right. I, you know, I thought if I was him, 
there would be no hope. I mean, here he was. He was obviously listening to the loudspeaker because he was he was uh, searching up code whatever, you know, code twenty, and it was always like you know someone's dying. I don't I don't know all the codes, but you know he was looking up the at the time the news media was like we need to send extra refrigeration trucks. He was looking up this stuff, you know. This is what he heard and saw, uh, you know, he said, please, you know, he would text me, please tell him to close the blinds. I've seen five body bags past my room today. So between wow. what he saw, what he heard over the loudspeaker, what they said to him, there's nothing more we can do. I mean, they broke him down. Right. You know? I mean, they, they told they him, really, you're, you're going to yeah. die. You're dying. Yeah. And, yeah. and they were going to make sure that that happened. I mean, Yes. How cool yes. to say yes. that to somebody 55 years old. I, I want to repeat that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's barely over middle age, mm-hmm. 55. Yeah, and one one nurse asked him, this was like, I want to even say before the ivermectin, but she she looked at me and said, does your husband have anxiety? She was, And I almost laughed because I thought, who doesn't? trying to breathe right. for this long. I mean, because there was a point where he told me when he was first in there, once it started getting worse, and that's right to that close to that day five, he couldn't listen to the TV, couldn't talk. He had to concentrate on breathing all day long. You know, and he's like, it's exhausting, it's lonely. I mean, he would tell me this. But she said that, does your husband have anxiety? I, well, uh, yeah, who doesn't, I told her. And she's like, oh, mm-hmm. She did that. And I wow. knew what that meant. She's already, you know, said he ain't going to make it. That's how they treat, treated him, and I say that in quotes. But they treated him like he wasn't going to make it, right? Right, so, from the beginning. Yes, yes, very much so. Yeah, really sad. So after that episode, um, uh, they they pressured the vent, even the worst I'd ever seen. It was just constant. Um, if you if you're at this level, you're going to have to get it. I mean, he started texting friends and family of mine to love on me, you know, and I knew what that I knew why he was sending that. Um, and basically, in a nutshell, towards the end, the ICU doctor was really pressuring me, and finally came to talk to me and said, "Listen, your husband is not going to make it." And I said, "I just don't believe it." I said, I think there's still other meds we can do. Um, and then he said, uh, we've been trying to vent him for weeks now, but you he doesn't want it, and you, you have asked not to do it, so we've tried to honor that. He said, we should have vented him when he was doing good. <laughs> like, what? What kind of sense does that make? It just makes no sense. And then he said, listen, if your husband is and I'm not joking that's exactly what he said if your husband's watching golf and he's talking with his mouth open I mean he's not ready to be vented he's like we're going to check his blood gas level and he's like if I don't like it I'm going to tell you this is what has to get done I said okay he goes let's go and talk to him so I said okay so we go upstairs no joke my husband guess what he's watching golf watching golf and then he was talking to him. Now, he had 
100% high flow plus a rebreather mask. Um, but he was talking with his mouth closed. So he did both of those things. And, and he said that. He said, I just told your wife, if you're watching golf and you're talking to me with your mouth closed, like, he's like, and he did this whole chummy, chummy, like, you're doing good. And I'm like, who is this I just talked to? You just said he's not making it. You know, not that he would say that to him, but. And then he said, I'm well, going to blood gas. And I know, well, they were, you know, at least when mm-hmm. I wasn't around. But And he said, we're going to check your blood gas. And I said, okay. So, so again, they, they need that number to confirm the venting, right? So the next day, no one calls me about the number. And Tony had texted me that night, and he said, they told me my blood gas is good. And I'm like, I know it. Keep going. You're good, you know. So the next day I go there, and there's that doctor on the computer, you know, right by Tony's room. And I said, what was the blood gas? I didn't hear anything from you guys. He didn't even look up, and he's like, it's fine. It's fine. And I was like, (laughs) because you know if that blood gas number wasn't good, he'd be on the phone in two seconds and saying, we got to vent him today, right now, you know? Right. But he can't call and give you good news. He doesn't. No, no, no. And so then... The next morning, my husband texted me early. He he texted me that first emergency. That's how I found out. And then this one he did too. He's like, call, call hospital, which I did. And um, they gave uh, his phone to a nurse, and she, he, she said he's in the 60s. And what was interesting is when I spoke to him, his his. his his speaking was like hardly any short of breath to me. When I think back on it, it seems very calm. And he just said, I'm struggling. I said, okay, you're okay, you're all right. And he said, I think I need to do it. And we didn't really talk the word vent. We just said it or that or, you know. And I regret to this day, and I just said, okay. And I, because I, I didn't know what to do. They beat me down too, to be honest. At that at that time, because I thought 60s oxygen, uh, he has to be vented, and that's how they they get you. You know, they even told me 80s, 80, 83, he needs to be vented. Well, that's not true either. Um. So, anyways, he went on the vent, and the whole time that three weeks, you know, or almost four weeks, he was in the hospital. They pressured him constantly about proning going on his stomach. And every time he tried to do it, his oxygen plummeted, and he kept trying to tell them, even me. Um, and you know, no one, no one was kind of listening. So they did that right away after he vented, and he almost died that day. Uh, he was crashing quite a bit, and then they had to plop him back on his back. And then um, at the Let me, end, when, when is this? Is this? Is this three weeks into that that they vented him? Was that at week yeah, three? He was. Um, it was probably the start of. Yeah, it was the start of week week three or in the middle of week three because he was only vented three days before he died. Okay. And the last call I got was early in the morning saying your husband's kidneys are failing, and you, do you want to come in and see him? And I said, absolutely, I'll come. And it was like 5 in the morning or something like that. And he said, well, you need to be gone by the shift change. And I thought, okay. What? And I was like, oh, yeah, that was the craziest call. <laughs> so, 
So I was like, oh, sure, uh-huh. And I thought, I'm, you know, and they didn't push me out, which I was grateful. Because there's so many families, Marsha, I need to say this, that don't get to see their loved ones ever. They Some get a FaceTime, some, some don't even get that. So I do, I am grateful that I was able to get in there for sure to be with him. Because that's the only thing he really begged me is to never leave him, you know. Right, right. So anyway, I mean, that was yeah, his only connection. Yeah. yeah. And then the last thing I just wanted to share towards the end there was the last five days when that doctor, you know, said he's not going to make it, Patty. Um, I said, okay, well, let's just say he's not going to make it. And I showed him the text from my husband that said, you know, it's been 45 minutes, an hour. I haven't gotten ice. I need ice. Because ice, uh, he explained how it helped with whatever that oxygen going in his, his nose, it helped. But And then his response was, oh, we have a lot of emergencies. Wow. <laughs> like, geez, if you can't get ice and water. But at the end, the last five days, he was getting really agitated, but they wouldn't feed him either. And why is that, Marcia? Because they knew they were going to vent him, and they didn't want to have aspiration or messy or whatever. So that, that's why they were not feeding them, too. So for five days before they vent you, they stopped feeding you, stopped giving you as much fluids, period. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, and regardless of whether he said, you know, it helps if I have ice for this or whatever, you know, I, I, I'm an ice water person. I like ice water. Mm-hmm. And if you're telling me that a person that the doctor feels and he has said multiple times he's on his deathbed you Mm -hmm. can't give a dying man ice water are you Mm -hmm. kidding me how inhumane is it and you know that the people that you put on the ventilators that you give remdesivir you know that it causes liver and kidney failure and that's what your husband died from and is on the certificate kidney failure which he did not have before he went into the hospital no, and he in didn't fact, have kidney issues. Yeah, and when I looked at his records, and I'm still looking at more, but when I looked at his records, he had kidney failure. Um, I think it was five to seven days. It was noted on his record, and they never said anything to us about it. You know, so this this was happening way before those last hours. You know. Mm-hmm. Because the remdesivir um, does that. It destroys the kidneys. Right. Right. And they also, we had talked about when they were doing chest x-rays almost daily, you know, on his lungs, and they would make him move too fast, Mm -hmm. and and he would ask them, please slow down, and their response, we're busy. I know. And they would just put that thing, that, that board under him, and... Literally, it would take him all, he'd have to be pumped up to 100% oxygen, and it would take him almost all day to work down the the support. You know, it was a lot of work. I mean, it, he right. would text me, I'm so tired, I can't do it, Patty. And then he's like, I'm okay, I'm going to do this. And it just, like, the hospitals for me used to be a place that, you know, a nurse was there, and they they, they, he was never bathed. I actually had a friend of a friend, nurse, came in his room and bathed him two times. 
out of four weeks, he was never bathed by the hospital themselves, like by the people that were caring for him on their on their shift. Um, you know, like you just think a nurse talks to you in a nice manner, encourages you, you're going to be all right. It wasn't like that. It was like everybody had a a face of tired, irritated, overworked, you know, and. Can you imagine someone laying there and relying on you to help them and Mm -hmm. this is all he hears and sees? I just can't imagine the suffering and his thoughts. The mental, the mental and the emotional in addition to the physical and then to be isolated from your family. Right, right. It's just, I mean, it's so inhumane. I am am so, so sorry that that happened. I, I cannot imagine losing anybody that way and you know your spouse and and this happened to so many people yeah yeah and not just I me mean, it's you just know, heartbreaking the you know our documentary uh obviously there's some covid stories in there and obviously my husband is one but um we really want to highlight you know the protocols in general and that, you know, how much money people are making to follow protocols and not looking at Tony as a person. I mean, there was no. one time I asked the doctor, please, can we get this lung med? He goes, I don't even know what he's on. <laughs> like, oh, dear. You know, if he he's just doing his rounds. He's just checking a box. He's looking at a number, writing it on a paper. It's like, what about, hey, Tony, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? Right. You know, I mean... If they did talk to him, it was just to kind of be negative and say you're not going to make it. I can't even imagine, like, why they would need to say Here. that. Like, Yeah, I can't imagine somebody, I mean, hearing that would be, I mean, what, am I supposed to just give up now? And just mm-hmm. let you, why don't you just, you know, give me a 45? Yes. But now yes. he did um, write to uh, Governor mm-hmm. DeSantis. Yes. And but he did not hear back from him and he wrote to mm-hmm. or contacted um WFTV to let yeah. them know that you know what's going on with the covid protocol. I've requested ivermectin, they won't give me monoclonal antibodies. Right. I mean, he was reaching out to people trying to get help. And they even nobody called came. Aka. Like he got on his cell phone. This is a guy that's struggling to breathe got on the cell phone and called ACA, Agency for Healthcare Administration, and they did not respond. I mean, that's and, – and basically his his message in all of these was the, the, the hospital's not listening to us. I need the antibody treatment. And he told the governor, I've seen too many body bags for comfort, is what he wrote. I mean, and no one responded to that. You know, that's pretty I – mean, Pretty yeah, low. I mean, that's tragic, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I mean, I just, you, there's right to try. We, we told them about that. We want right to try, and they just looked at us like we're crazy. I mean, it, it just was, it's easier when you're on the outside to say, oh, well, you should have done this, or you should have done that. But when you're in it, and when you keep asking for something, and someone doesn't look up, someone makes fun of you, someone asks if you're a doctor, so, you know, uh, we don't have it. Uh, it's not known to work. I mean, all these things were told to us 
or me. And, you know, I even said, listen, I want to take him out as hospice on that day five when I knew it was going downhill quick. I said, I need to discharge him AMA, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring him home for hospice, even though I didn't think he was going to die at that point. <laughs> but I was, like, desperate, and they said, oh, honey, he won't make it out the hallway. What do I do? So everything that that you attempted to try, they stopped you from doing that. And this is what, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'm going to just relay this with hospice, because we have people that come in the group and they, you know, make comments, well, I don't know why you didn't do something about it. I wouldn't stand there and watch somebody kill my loved one. Mm-hmm. You do not know unless you are in those per, those that situation you do not know what you're being told you do not know a person is exhausted mentally and physically Mm -hmm. sleep deprived you tried everything you could you kept saying ivermectin vitamin c zinc monoclonal Mm -hmm. antibodies i mean please do something no i don't want my husband to be vented he wrote to people patty you did everything right you did everything that you knew to do outside of I don't know, call, and I don't even think that would have worked, calling the police and having him transferred out. We've done out. that too, but they don't do anything. So, yeah, yeah, they don't do anything. So yeah. it's, you know, for people that can sit back on the outside and say, well, I wouldn't have done that, and I wouldn't. The fact mm-hmm. is you're better off not going to a hospital. Right. And you said that you could get oxygen without going to the hospital. Can you explain that to me? Right. I found out after he died that you can get two liters, three liters at a uh, uh, low, uh, you know, Lowe's a hardware, hardware store. store. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's plenty of uh, medical device places that you can get it. I mean, you've got to get doctor's order, I'm sure, on some of those. But there's there's uh, portable oxygen things now that they make. And, again, okay, it's, a I low, did not... it's a low-end Oxygen, yeah, I didn't not like high flow, I didn't but. know that. Yeah, Michelle, if you're listening, chime in because I was not aware of this at all, and that's something that's really good to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if you can do that, so yeah, that's a and real a good thing. And a lot of it is anxiety, right? If, if, and I can't imagine. I haven't had you know shortness of breath the way he did, but you know, when that happens, your anxiety goes. So even if you had like a two liter or just something, like you're like, okay, I have some support, I think some of that anxiety would have gone down, you know. And just having people like, you're going to be fine or, you know, that's really all he needed, right, is just some encouragement. And that used to happen in hospitals, but I didn't see it when he was there. Again, there was maybe two or three people that are actually, and I'm not exaggerating, two or three people that were actually kind and listened and encouraged him. Mm -hmm. But everybody else was just either catatonic or like that lady, oh, you're going to not make it. That fit guy didn't make it. So, you know, that's how I felt. It was like when she said fit guy, I thought that's kind of a weird description. Okay. Well, it's Um, like we're too busy. Yeah, it's like, yeah, like no one. Okay, I just got a I just got a response back from Michelle. She's um, a respiratory therapist, and because it's a, medic- a medication, it's regulated by FDA, and you would have to have a prescription for the oxygen. Yeah, so I think if I it's just, over two liters, I think that is true. But I think there yeah. are 
there's there's Walgreens. I went into Walgreens and and you and there was a. Um, I mean, I wish I could remember the name, but I mean, I know you get helium, but that wouldn't do you any good. So I mean, no. that's just something <laughs> that you know to be researched. I'm going to do some right. more research Absolutely. on that. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's something to be aware of if it's possible to do that. Um, I also think that you need to know how much, you know, like two liters, three liters. That you right. know, because since we're not qualified for that. But right. you had asked your doctor if he would give him oxygen, and she had said no. You're right. She said you can only get it in the hospital. Well, we know people that have it at their home, right? Now you have to, you know, like she said, get orders and different things, but you you can get it at the house. I mean, you don't have to go by a hospital to get oxygen. So well, you could be, something. like, for instance, you said hospice. Hospice will bring you oxygen right. to your home if hospice doctor sees you and says, okay, you qualify for hospice. But I don't know that having COVID would qualify somebody for hospice, you know, unless he had an underlying disease, you know, something else. Right. But, but yeah, hospice would bring out, you know, oxygen to your house and set it up for you. But then you would just have to be very careful and not take the toxic cocktail. Right that they live right. there. And the, and the so. big thing with COVID specifically is, you know, we on our documentary, we have a girl that was in the hospital with 60% oxygen, just like Tony when he was then. Greta. Right, Greta. And yeah, I she try to get got out on. of Dodge. She left there against AMA, mm-hmm. and it took her a couple months to get better and she sat up sleeping for months and all kinds of different things that she did but she's okay today yes right yes yeah i was looking at her youtube today with her on it okay but she lived because she took herself out but the problem is and it's like what you and i have said in the past you trust that when you go to the right. doctor or you go to the hospital, that they're going to take care of you. I mean, we are taught to trust the white suit, right, mm-hmm. and that they do no harm, that they sign the Hippocratic Oath. That Hippocratic Oath, to me, means absolutely nothing. I've you know, mm-hmm. seen too much in hospice and now in the hospitals that I'm not going to a hospital. And, you know, my husband has said, you know, you'll lay here and have a heart attack and die because you won't go to a hospital and that's probably true because I am mm-hmm. terrified of hospitals. Yeah, and that's that's what I told the CEOs too. I just said I said I will never I'll never be back definitely at this hospital, but I'll never I'll never go to a hospital. And then I I just showed the dirt of you know, after Tony got buried and it's just a dirt pile and I said, This is where he lives now you know, and I was like I'm sure if your wives were in the same position Tony was, I don't think you'd put your head in the sand like you did with Tony. I'm sure you wouldn't give, I'm sure you would give them ice and water. And I just went through the, you know, list of things. And they just sat there, you know, they didn't really say much. But I think um, they brought up a couple times, too, they had a colleague, I think it was another nurse that was, um, not doing so well, you know, and that's all they talked about too. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I'd love to know the more information on that one. But I think the big thing is that 
the care wasn't there, you know, and I say that in the documentary, you know, the health care. I mean, I didn't see the care personally. And I'm just talking about foundational stuff, you know, bathing, talking to him, giving him ice, water, food, you know. Um, and, you know, there are patients that are tied down and all kinds of stuff. You know, Tony's was one of the least of the stories, to be honest. Well, so. and he had an advocate there. Think about the people yeah. who they kept out. And, exactly. and I seriously had never heard of a lottery before. But the people that didn't have loved ones that were allowed to come in, and in 2020 there was more of that where the loved ones couldn't come in at all. They had to stand outside. Right. You know, right. the window, and I, I just imagine. can't imagine how terrified that, yeah. that the patient was. I mean, knowing yeah. that nobody's here to help me. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm at yeah. their mercy, and unfortunately, they're like you say, they weren't calming, they weren't talking to him, they weren't trying mm-hmm. to. I, I'm sure they just chemically re- constrained, restrained all these people. Right. That's a with, lot of it, you know, yeah. Anxiety meds that. Yep. And antipsychotics and, you know, whatnot that they just, and then they didn't have to bother them. Put a catheter in them. Exactly. You know, chemically restrain them, and there you go. And then yeah. you well, invent them, and you get all this money, and they die. And I hate mm-hmm. to sound callous like that, but I, I really don't see the humanity uh-uh. in the medical profession. And no. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm saying everybody I talk to says the same thing that you're saying. And yeah, when when did hospitals decide what doctors should be doing to treat patients? When did the government step in and tell them what medicines to use for patients for a disease? You know, well, I mean, I'm, okay, but you know what? We're gonna um, go back to something that we've talked about previously um, with Michelle Young-Doers. The insurance companies in a lot of cases are running what doctors are giving. And Big Pharma is telling the doctors, I mean, this this whole thing with remdesivir, they made tons of money off of that. They were forced Mm -hmm. to use it. And somebody's sitting there cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching and counting the money. Yep. Making a killing. Making a killing, exactly. And that's yeah. the um, name of the website. Right. And it's makingakillingdoc.com. And we've got the trailer and also the first film. We're filming number two next week. And we're excited to kind of share some nursing uh, firsthand stories um, oh, okay. of just different protocols and, and, uh, how that's, you know, hurting other people. We, we just want to spread truth and information so people can make their own decisions and choices. Uh, but I think there's still a lot of people that have no clue of what's going on out there. Um, and I just don't want people to suffer like Tony did, like Dana's mom suffered, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, especially going to a place you think it's the opposite, you think it's the care if that's going to happen, but I actually sent him there. I didn't know it, but, you know. You didn't did know. Opposite. Yeah. I mean, you did what your doctor told you to do, and you did it yeah. in good faith. And when you realized that it 
that was not happening, you immediately mm-hmm. started to try to get him the help that he needed. Right. So you can never blame yourself for that. Although I know that you know that you feel that way, but you did everything you could do. Yeah, I just wish I, you know, had a making a killing video or but then there's I have to say that there's some some families that actually have the knowledge and they're still not able to save them. So, but I think if if I had the knowledge, I don't I definitely don't think I would have brought him to the hospital. I would have done some other things. Um Well, you probably wouldn't have. No. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I remember back when the um, hydroxychloroquine, you know, people mm-hmm. were talking about that, and it, there was or there is a website that you can go to where you can actually order ivermectin um, mm-hmm. from, uh, I can't remember what it is, the doctor's website There's or whatever. There's push Yeah, health. and it's expensive, but mm-hmm. what's your life worth and it's sure a whole lot less expensive than $13,000. It's still cheaper, exactly. And right. honestly, they billed over $500,000 for my husband and got a $100,000 bonus on top of that. And, you know, I see left and right urgent cares and all kinds of things popping up here lately, and it's because of all that money they made. I mean, honestly, um, it's just... Making a killing. Makes me sick, yeah, makes me feel sick. And and it's done at the cost of humanity and the, our, mm-hmm. our loved ones. Yeah. And like the, um, you know, the ivermectin, it, it was, it's been proven. I mean, they went through research, through studies that showed mm-hmm. that it helped with respiration. It helped with um, SARS-CoV-2, they, positive yeah. results on covid but they refuse to use it. And and I'm like, I know why. I mean, I say that, you know, why would they do that? I know why, because it's a big pharma, it's a money thing, and those people, I won't mention names, but those people that are getting this money, raking in this money for that, and everybody else who said anything against all of the doctors, there were hundreds of doctors that stood up against remdesivir, that stood up against wearing masks, that have stood up against mm-hmm. the jab. And that's the other thing. Um, Tony was not vaccinated. Yeah, and that's, I mean, the fear nar- narrative, they they got to have that in order for this whole thing to work, right? So they right. have to put you in fear. You have to get the vaccine to protect yourself, even though at the first they said if you get the vaccine, you will never get COVID. Well, we know that's a lie. Right, so right. It's um, I think Tony, among other patients that were not every every day in his patient record, it says, you know, male his age, male unvaccinated, male unvaccinated every day. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could definitely tell um, the different treatment, you know, that he was getting, and in fact, well, it's the attitude. I, yeah, it was that saying, you know, whether it's the dizzy of anxiety, it's like they've already decided he's not going to make it, and that's one of the reasons. It's like because he's unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. I remember at the time the news, he had the news on, and one day it said, I'm generally paraphrasing, but it was like, you know, all these people unvaccinated are, are 
you know, filling up the ICUs. And I thought, is that true? Because, you know, so every time I saw a family member in the room, you know, with their loved one, then I would see them out, you know, in the lobby or whatever. I would talk to them and I would, I would, I would ask them, like, do you mind sharing that information if they are or not? And I asked, it was either eight to ten people, and there was probably 25, 30 in the unit, and it was half and half. Mm-hmm. Some were even boosted and whatever, you know. And the, and the lady next to Tony, it was his sister, and he said, do not go on the vent. She is, I mean, it's a death sentence. He told me, I'll never forget it. And he and he he said it doesn't matter about the vaccine. She was boosted. She was she was all into that. And he goes, it doesn't matter. And I thought, wow. I was like, whatever the news is saying, at least at this hospital, I could tell you that is not true. You know, so the narrative that they speak on the news, the print, the Facebook, the Twitter, the misinformation, all of this, it's very um, calculated. Uh, to to do their agenda, you know. Right. Um, well, it's like that. Um, the website that I sent you, I think yesterday, that shows that in September of twenty one, which is the time frame for Tony, okay. in September yeah. of twenty one, seventy seven percent of the people that came in the hospital with COVID were unvaxxed. Hmm. 22% were vaxxed with the primary. By the time it got to, say, March 22, 57% were unvaxxed, while 23 were vaccinated and 20 were vaccinated with all the boosters, so you're at a 43%. By August mm-hmm. of 22, 42% of the people that were in the hospital with COVID, 42% versus um, 58% that were mm. vaccinated. Mm. So it, it didn't matter that mm-hmm. whether you were vaccinated or you weren't vaccinated, more people that were in the hospital were vaccinated than were unvaccinated. And so what, that what theory I on that is wrong, too. Yeah, what I, what I thought, too, was interesting is the there was a doctor that left his notes by accident in Tony's table. So I was like, what are these papers? And so it had date of birth, it had diagnosis, and and basically all those um, patients were 40- and 50-year-old people. Everybody was COVID except for one person in the ICU on vents. Um, And they all were like the same stature to me, you know, not skinny but not super obese or anything, just kind of moderate person. 40- and 50-year-old males. And I thought to myself, that's really weird. You know, just as a wife, just as I walked by, you know, I thought, mm-hmm. they all look the same. You know what I mean? And there's yeah. something to be said for that. I think that's kind of odd to me, you know? Like, I feel like so many... somehow it's targeting a certain, generally, because I know it, you know, it hits all over at some point. But generally speaking, it was that 40- to 60-year-old you know, male, you know, highly mm-hmm. male. Like I said, it was only two ladies in the whole unit. So I just remember at the time just taking it in. I'm a behavior analyst, so I a lot of times just take that stuff in and later process. But I just remember thinking that's just odd, you know. Well, and you got COVID too. 
Right. You, you had COVID at the same time that Tony did, and right. yours you got over yours, you know, rather quickly without any complications. Yeah, I just had like a night. I had like a low-grade fever one about 24 hours. I mean, I was tired mm-hmm. for a while there, but that was about it. I didn't have any breathing. But you know what was odd, and I, I have not shared this a lot with people, there was a day... Um, and again, I didn't know a lot about COVID. I kind of, you know, put my head in the sand a little bit on it. But there was a day that I went in my phone and went on my note page and I started writing like my passwords and almost like a goodbye letter-ish. I mean, it was quick because there was like this hour or two. I can't even explain it to you how I felt. I felt a weird feeling like I'm here by myself, something were to happen. I don't even know how to explain it, but I really feel whatever whatever is in that poison, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, there's something that does to your psyche, I guess is what my point is, you know what I mean? So, um, and I hardly have spoken about that to anybody, but something and in, in, it was like an hour maybe two hour slot that I really was in a a weird place in my head you know um, well, I think and I was fine I was breathing fine you know what I mean mm-hmm. right uh, well I think they've said some people it affected they lost their taste and that right. was their only symptom other people right. felt like they were in a fog Mm-hmm. And then other people, it you know, it affected, you know, especially if they had any comorbidity um, right. or, you know, diabetic or overweight, that there were certain things, characteristics that might make it more difficult for you, for, especially if, if you have COPD, I would imagine getting COVID would be much worse. But right. if there was the extreme exhaustion, and because um, I got it, I brought the new year in with it, yay, and it was extreme <laughs> exhaustion, and you know some people felt very foggy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, I don't have that cough. But and mm-hmm. in your case, it may have made you, you know, given you that, you know, weird as you call that, that foggy, weird feeling. Yeah. So yeah, 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 it you know just affected different people different ways. Yeah. So you talked to um, the CEO afterwards, and. You know, the doctor makes the comment to you, we should have vented him sooner. But was there ever any apology for them, you know, treating you like you were a Google doctor or um, their dismissiveness? I mean, the only thing, they were kind of cocky and said that they were uh, top in the southeast from sending people home with COVID. I mean, I thought, here we are. Here's a wife that lost her husband in your hospital. I don't think it's time for you to tout your data, which whatever data that is, I don't know. But mm-hmm. but I think the only thing they paused on, and I ended with that again because I thought this is going nowhere, I just said, you you guys need to do better, you know. At the end, it's like bathing, water, food, Chips. I mean, that you should be experts in. I was kind of sarcastic, you know. I said, you mm-hmm. paid over 500 dollars I'm still getting bills from the – each of the doctors send a different bill on top of the hospital bills. So $500,000 is just a hospital bill. I didn't add up all the 
ICU doctor, the infectious disease, the lung doctor, all those are separate bills. I said, you got all that money and you can't, you know, just get some orderly to help help with those kind of things? And that was the only thing the CEO said, yeah, we, we want to look into that part because, you know, and I was like, I just left there feeling like, and then as we're walking out of the building, it's a fancy schmancy building, first of all, and uh, along the wall as you're walking, it's like their mission statement kind of thing. It's these beautiful wood letters that are cost probably a million gazillion dollars. And it says roughly, um, if we care for patients, we take care of them. We, and I was reading it and like literally like, what? And he's, he looks at me and he looks like proud. He's like, exactly. And I looked at him like, that is not what happened with Tony. No. You know, and I just started bawling, and I said, I have got to go. I just tried to, and they were just, like, like quiet and uncomfortable, and I just was like, get me out of this place. Like, this is not good for me to be here right now. Like, it was just such a waste to, to some degree, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, for them to be bragging to be bragging about yeah. how great we are. Well, you know, the um, PERP Act that they um, put out that says that you are not held accountable for anything that happens, you know, in the hospitals, in the nursing homes, right. and related to COVID, you know, if you didn't treat the patient right or if you made decisions that cost the person their life or gives them chronic conditions for the rest of their life, it doesn't matter anything they are not liable for it. They are completely immune from anything. So from anybody trying to build a case, like even what happened in New York City with sending all the COVID patients to the um, nursing homes, where those are the most vulnerable people and they died, Mm -hmm. they are immune from, nobody can charge them with anything because of that PERP Act. Well, I'll tell you what, yeah, it's currently that is true, but uh, we're working very hard because there's a lot of uh, loopholes in this, actually. And so we're working very hard uh, to make them accountable. And we will, we will continue. We won't stop until Wonderful. all of these doctors and nurses are held accountable. I will until I get to heaven, honestly. I just, it's wrong. It's wrong what, what happened. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Now, are you, um, with your documentaries, are you looking for any other people um, like yourself and Dana and Greta that went through similar situations? Absolutely. So we're always, you can go to our website and you can email us uh, any story that you have. But um, we definitely want to, we want to, are, we're doing like a docu-series at this point now. So, like I said, we're on film number two next week. We film, um, and we definitely want to do cancer or hospice. And we just want to look at anything that's doing deadly protocols, you know, broxes, um, instead of treating patients. And we want to bring light to it and make a change and say no more. We want to say, right. you know, this is... This is not okay. So, Well, I will definitely then be more than willing to share my mom's story with how they murdered her in hospice. 
Yes, yes. I mean, unfortunately, we have to share these. Yeah, we we need these stories to to wake people up, unfortunately, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, there need to be more outlets where people are talking about it, you know, where there's honest discussion about what is happening in the medical industry. And that includes nursing homes, hospitals, hospices. I mean, that's anybody who is laying their hands on a person and hastening their death needs to be held accountable. That's humanity. It's the sanctity of life. And if people believe, well, you know, as an obituary says, you know, they died peacefully in their sleep, uh, probably not. They were probably drugged into a coma. And they right. think there was no peace about it, and you know they want to act like you know this is a you know wonderful end to a story. They lived a good life, and you know now they're right. gone, and everybody move on. You can never unsee what you saw, and mm-hmm. what you experienced with Tony will haunt you, unfortunately, the rest of your life. Yes, yeah, so I, I remember wanna, when um, I saw that last IV thing, propofol, fentanyl. I mean, he was never coming out of there. You know, no. so not alive, at least. Mm-mm. No. Well, and he, his, his organs were damaged so badly. Right, right. By that time with the medication. So right. um, you have two children. I know that you're one autistic son. I know that he, Charlie, is that his name? Right, Charlie, yes. Uh, Charlie, okay. I know that he's 21. I don't know how old your daughter is, but how how are they dealing with this? with losing their dad, and do they know how this happened? Yes. I mean, um, Charlie never got to see Tony in the hospital because, again, they had all these roles. And my daughter was able to go in, I think, two days at the end because she was about to go away on a work trip. Um, But other than that, you know, my son just got FaceTime, and, you know, I chose to – explain things more in bigger terms like I said you know dad might be on a machine you know I didn't use ventilation or stuff like that so when I told my son um when I think back on that was that was hard um thing to tell tell him and and basically his comment was wow that was unexpected and then he just kind of went in his room and then later, he I wasn't sure if he understood what I said, but then the next day, he and my husband always did memes together, like sent, you know, and pictures, and he had sent him a meme the next day. It was Woody, because they would always do Woody and Buzz, and he had the Woody one that said, so long, partner, you know? Oh, jeez, Patty. Yeah. So then I I'm knew, so I'm sorry. like, he does understand, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and they're he's trying we're to, he's all processing angry. It. Yeah. 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 It's it. He was the heart of our family and full of life and funny and he was. A and good it's dad. a piece of your heart. It's a piece of your yeah. heart missing, right? Yeah. And it's, so I, I have to stand because he was trying to save himself, but they no one listened. No one. Responded, so we need to stand up. So and warn everybody else. Right, right. Yeah. And it doesn't. It didn't have to be that way. If they would exactly. just use what works 
And I think right. in your situation that you proved that the ivermectin was working and you right. have medical records. I know you haven't um, been able to process all of them because it, it's an awful lot and it emotions is. get tangled it's in hard. it. It's hard, yeah. It's very hard. But it's, and it's like, you know, you and I talked earlier, it is a form of PTSD having witnessed something that was avoidable. Right. And right. it was avoidable. It was, yeah. So that's it you was. Know, that's hard to do to yeah. process that when you knew that things could have been different. Right. So I'm disappointed that um, your governor never responded to him. I'm sure it didn't go to him, but right. somebody else in his organization right. should have responded. I. I don't know. I'd be curious and want to resend it to them if you have a copy of it. I have and, to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I would want to resend it to them and say, you know, just in case you want to know, in case you care, you know, my husband died because he didn't get proper treatment. Yep. Exactly, yep, yep. So, it's you know, it's a hard thing, and I'm, I'm just, I'm so sorry for everybody that has been through it and, you know, I'd like to say that it's not going to happen anymore, but I know that that's not a realistic thing for me to say because um, as far as I know, remdesivir is the only approved. Right. So are you aware Besides, that of any change in that? It's like the home, you know, the home remedy, they give Paxlovid now. So... Yes, but in the hospital, I believe it's still the same, and people are still dying today. Mm-hmm. And statistics payment. are not being reported because they don't want you to know that because it would cut into profits. Right, and right. That's what we have to get out. The word that we have to get out to people is: it shouldn't be about profit margins. It should be about humanity and saving people's lives. Exactly. So. I just I I feel terrible for you, and I I wish that I, that I had words of comfort other than to say that I'm sorry. And it it, it doesn't get easier, but it doesn't. It you know to me, I think that it's not 24 yeah. seven. You know, some days are better that you don't think about it the entire day. Um, so you know that's. I guess that's what they mean when they yeah. say time heals the wounds. Yeah. I don't think it it ever goes it doesn't it you know 2017 for me and I, it hasn't gone away. So I still am very angry and still grieve about my mom. Yeah. So, yeah. But you your know, I wish your gone. You know, your your what you've dreamed about for 30 some years is it's done. And it, like you said earlier, it didn't have to be that way. So that's why I want to share that with people so they their spouse doesn't die, their mother, their sister, brother doesn't die either. Right. Because children. He, he should have stayed home. They should have sent him back home. Right. But they well, got and, you know, had your doctor ordered oxygen for him, mm-hmm. how different this would have been. Do you yeah, have the even same if doctor? they just did that without Reb Desert, oh Lord, no, that guy, yeah, that's that's a whole other story. Okay. No, 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 okay. done. 
Yeah, that would be my that would I would be the same way. I would not go to the same doctor who sent my husband to the emergency room. Yeah, yeah. No. Nope. To get oxygen. So, but um nope. Okay, well we have 1 minute left and I want to thank you so much for coming on and I know it was difficult uh for you to tell your story, but you're trying to save other people and that's what's important at at this point. Um, because we can't go back in time. So, thank you, Marcia. I appreciate yeah. it, the opportunity. So, so thank you, and I'll be checking out your your new video, and I'll um, call you, and you know we can see if my mom's story would fit in anywhere, so we can yeah, warn people yeah. about hospice yeah, as well. Absolutely, so, absolutely. All right. Thank all right. You. Well. You have a good evening, and again, thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners, and thank you, Kaz, for um, backing up and putting this on. And good night, and good night, Marty. So we'll talk later. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.